true servant and savior of sinners, but I will not cover that today. I will come back to our series and pick it up again next Sunday, which will be the first Sunday of the new year, 2024. Um, but today, this final day of 2023, the Lord has led me back to a passage of scripture that I've preached multiple times in my many years as the pastor of this church and that I keep coming back to at the end of every year, it seems, for myself, but for all of us, to remind us at the end of each year and the beginning of each new year, what matters most to God and what ought to matter most to us. We have to remind ourselves, you know, you don't hear truth just one time and remember all of it, you know. You got to, you've got to be reminded of truth, of truths that, that we have been taught. And we have to be reminded over and over again because we tend to forget. Uh, we're like, uh, as someone has suggested, we're like a leaky bucket, you know, you fill us up. But because we got holes, you know, here and there, it just leaks and over time, if you don't keep filling, that's the reason why the scripture says in Ephesians 5, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, there in the original, it literally says be being filled, keep being filled with the Spirit. We need to regularly. That's why we come together weekly to hear the word of God, because we need to hear the word of God regularly uh, for our spiritual diet. And so this is a, this is a message. It's from Philippians 3. For those of you who remember pastor preaching this in several times past, I'm back to it again. You know, <laughs> there's an old, uh, old story of, a, of an old Methodist preacher who kept preaching the same sermon on repentance. And the people got tired of it and they went to the bishop and said to the bishop, Listen, he keeps preaching about repentance on and on and on, and we're tired of it, and we wish he'd preach about something else. And the bishop sat back in his chair and he thought for a moment. Then he said to them, well, let me ask y'all this. Have y'all repented? And they all looked at each other. <laughs> and decided like them scribes and Pharisees with Jesus that they better not answer that question <laughs> lest they incriminate themselves. <laughs> so the preacher then, the bishop then said, well, I'm not going to bother him. Let him keep preaching until y'all repent. <laughs> Why should he be preaching anything else? Why should God say anything else if you, you won't do what he's already told you? Well, you know, here we have another opportunity at the end of another year to do what I'm sure some of us have done previously and perhaps others of us have not done previously, but that all of us need to do at least yearly. So today I want to I talk from the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3 in verses 12 and 14, three little words that I want to emphasize 
that he says there. It's literally one word in the Greek, in the original Greek, but three English words. I press on. I press on. <laughs> Today being the final day of 2023, you have to think to yourself what a year it has been. I mean, this past year has brought all the ups and downs of life we would normally expect, you know? Uh, for example, births, deaths, routines, work, family matters, surprises, pleasant surprises in some cases, and unexpected surprises in other cases. <laughs> disruptions, blessings and burdens, happiness and sadness, or joy and pain. Hmm. We have known many experiences that have made the past year a good year or a not so good year. One thing has not changed. God is still God. And Christ is still Savior. And whatever we have known and seen and experienced, nothing compares to knowing the Lord and being known by him. So whatever we have gained, whatever we have done or achieved, over the course of the past year, even nothing is worth more than having gained in our knowledge of him. I hope you can say, in your heart of hearts, that you have learned more about God in 2023. If you cannot say that, uh, then now is an opportunity for you to well, to repent and, and to hear this word today so that in 2024 you can, you can learn more of him. So whatever we have gained, whatever we have learned, nothing is more, nothing is worth more than having gained in our knowledge of him. This is where the Apostle Paul's testimony in Philippians chapter 3 is so relevant for us at this point as you know, as we prepare to transition into a new year. Knowing the Lord is what matters most. Now, if you've got your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 3. Look with me in Philippians chapter 3 in the New Testament here. Beginning at, I'm going to begin at verse 7. I am going to come back to earlier verses, but I'm going to begin at verse 7 in our Bibles. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ 
and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participating in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, Paul has to confess. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Now in verses 1 through 7, the Apostle Paul recounts the many achievements of his life before the Lord saved him. He recounts many of the achievements, let's just say of his greatest achievements, before the Lord saved him. He had achieved everything he wanted as a committed adherent to Judaism and Jewish identity. He had been the most successful in all of his endeavors as a faithful Jew. Now look with me, if you would, brothers and sisters. If you're still in Philippians chapter 3, let's look back to verse 1. I want to just, let me read those verses now for you as the context to where we're going to focus for just a few moments today in verses 12 to 14. The context, starting at verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord, some of your translations will read, finally, my brothers and sisters, finally, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble. By the way, he's saying, he's telling them to rejoice, right? Do you know where he is when he says this, when he writes this? He himself is in prison. He has been wrongly imprisoned for faithfully preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Philippians is one of what we know to be Paul's prison epistles. He is incarcerated, telling them who are on the outside to rejoice. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. By the way, that's, he's not just telling them to rejoice, he's telling them to rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. See there? And it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh 
For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by the spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Here, let me just simply summarize what he's talking about for you. And what he's telling them is for them not to be misled and deceived by people who were known as Judaizers whose doctrinal teaching was false. They were teaching people that in order to be saved, not only did you have to have faith in Jesus, but you also had to perfectly adhere to the law of Moses before you could be saved. That's false. That's false. Because no one could ever perfectly adhere to the law of Moses. Only one actually ever achieved it. And that was Jesus. And because Jesus, the Son of God, achieved perfect obedience to the law of Moses, we are saved by placing our faith in him who perfectly obeyed the law of Moses because we couldn't do it on our own. And no one before us was ever able to do it except Jesus. Now that's the issue behind what he is writing to them here. And so he's telling them, watch out for these people who call themselves Christians, but who believe in a works righteousness. There is no such thing as a works righteousness. You can't obey enough. You can't do enough work to save yourself. You cannot. Listen, if you break one little syllable of the law of Moses, you are guilty of having broken the whole law. Watch out for these people who tell you that you've got to obey the law of Moses perfectly and trust in Jesus before you can be saved. You've got to obey the law of Moses uh, and trust in Jesus in order to be right with God. That is not true. Jesus has already obeyed the law of Moses and fulfilled it for us so that if we trust in him, then we are saved and we trust in him and in him alone. And Paul is so disgusted with these people and their false teaching uh, that he calls them, listen, the scripture here calls them dogs, evildoers and mutilators of the flesh because they, they say you've got to be circumcised in order to be saved. That's the other, that was part of what they were saying in their doctrine of works righteousness. You've got to be circumcised in order to be saved. No such thing. We are the circumcision, he says. God, God has made us the circumcision, not some fleshly ritual, but a transformation of the heart, the circumcising of the heart. We put no confidence in the flesh. We are the circumcision who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, not in our flesh, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself, look at this at verse 4, I myself might have reasons for such confidence. Uh-oh. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh to be saved, I have more. Hmm. Circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Israel, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. And as for zeal, I persecuted the church. And as, as for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless, he writes. Paul writing about himself, about his history, you see. 
about the many achievements of his life before the Lord saved him. How that he was the most committed adherent to Judaism and Jewish identity, uh, to the law of Moses and to circumcision and to all of those things that Jesus Christ came and fulfilled perfectly for us. Paul said, listen, if there was anybody other, what he's saying, if there's anybody other than Christ who came anywhere near close to fulfilling all of them, it would have been me. None of the rest of these people who go around proclaiming to be adherents to the law of Moses, I exceeded all of them when I was among them. I exceeded all of them. In my zeal, I exceeded or I was so zealous that I committed genocide for God. He did. Acts chapter 9, he was on his way to persecute and arrest believers in Jesus, have them brought back, put on trial, and in some cases executed. He was the one who held the clothes of the men who executed Stephen the first deacon in the New Testament church back in Acts chapter 7. Paul says anybody wants to put confidence in the flesh as if somehow or another that is the way to salvation. Listen, I have more. I did more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm from the people of Israel. Not only that, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. What's the significance of the tribe of Benjamin? The tribe of Benjamin was the tribe from which Israel, ancient Israel's first king, arose. Paul's name before he was saved was Saul. God changed his name to Paul. His name had been Saul. Saul is the name of the first king of ancient Israel. Yeah. Way back in the 11th and 10th centuries B.C., you see. So what does he say here? I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a, he listen, you want to know what a Hebrew of Hebrews is? I'm a super Jew. <laughs> That's what he's saying. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Now, what does he say about all of this? Verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. He had been most successful in all of his endeavors as a faithful Jew, but he discovered that he still was not right with God. He was fervently religious, but still without true saving faith. Mm. You know what? There are a lot of people like that in today's world, fervently religious, but without true saving faith. People who fervently call themselves Christians in some cases and who go to church, but who still don't have genuine saving faith. In other words, they know the language and the lingo. They know all of the rituals and they practice them. They show up to see and be seen. They say everything that they know needs to be said in order to make them acceptable within the community of the Christian, within the Christian community of the church. Yet they themselves actually do not have true saving faith. And with people like that, God always has a way of exposing their hypocrisy, their duplicity and their falsehood. It usually happens in bad times when things are going wrong is when they get exposed. 
Paul was fervently religious, but still without true saving faith. According to the story in Acts chapter 9, Paul would find out what he was missing. He would find out that he was missing Jesus. <clears throat> that he was missing true saving faith. He had discovered that everything he had known could not compare with knowing Christ and being known by him. This is what he's referring to in our text in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 9, where he says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. By the way, that's accounting language. It's financial language. Gains and losses. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth, the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Now see, normally if we lose everything, we cry about it. Paul isn't crying about it. He said, for, for, for Christ's sake, I have lost all things. And what's more, I consider them dung. I consider them garbage, rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from observance of the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith in Jesus. Um, <clears throat> so this righteousness is also known as justification. This righteousness from God is also known and can be referred to as justification by faith. That we are justified in the sight of God by faith in Jesus, faith alone, in Jesus alone, and not in any works of righteousness of our own. By the way, this is where we, as Protestants, disagree with Catholicism. Because in Catholic theology, there is such a thing as works, righteousness. This is, this is why the church split in the 16th century um, over the issue of Martin Luther and his teaching on justification, salvation, by faith alone, and not by any works nor deeds that could be performed on our part to bring salvation. Now, I'm not trying to be a critic of the Catholic Church. I'm just, I'm just articulating the difference and the distinction, the doctrinal differences between us, because it matters. Listen, if you think that you have to do anything in order to be saved, then you cannot be saved. It isn't possible because that isn't salvation. Salvation in the gospel of Jesus Christ is faith 
in the work that Christ did. Christ is the one who did it all. He is the one who achieved it all. And we simply receive by faith what he achieved on our behalf in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. You see, that, that's the difference. We don't do... Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 uh, and 10 teach us this. For by grace you have been saved, grace, through faith, and that not of yourselves. See, there is no works involved in it on our part. It is the gift of God. It can't be a gift if it involves works. If, if it's works on our part, then it can't be a gift. But it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast before God. But he goes on to say in verse 10, for we are his, God's, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God already ordained for us to do. What does he mean by that? We are saved to do good works. We are not, we don't do good works to be saved. We're saved to do good works. We do not do good works in order to be saved. And that's what Paul is talking about here with the Philippians. I, I consider all that I have accomplished worthless, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness that is through faith in Christ. So whatever he gained before was now counted as loss when compared to the value of experiencing and knowing Christ. Hmm. Hmm. Whatever we gained without Christ is worthless, brothers and sisters, compared uh, to what we gain in Christ. And whatever we achieved apart from him does not count in comparison to what he achieved in us when he saved us and what he achieves through us now that we are saved. Yeah. The Apostle Paul abandoned everything in order to gain Christ. Oh yeah, boy, and he gave up a lot. He surrendered a lot. It was a lot. We just get a sampling of it back here in the early verses of Philippians chapter 3. But there was even more. He even gave up his safety and his security because if you remember from the story in Acts chapter 9, once it becomes known that Paul has been converted to Christ and he is now a Christian believer, his life is in danger. And in the city of Damascus, they had the, the brothers, the brothers there, the, the saints, had to sneak him out of the city by night uh, to keep the Judaizers and the opponents of Christianity from assassinating him in Damascus. So Paul abandoned everything in order to gain Christ. He abandoned his self-righteousness so that he could receive Christ's righteousness instead. And he uses the language of profit and loss to articulate the surpassing value of having received the imputed righteousness of Christ through faith in the gospel. 
for every one of us who is saved, what it means is that Christ, through his death on the cross, has taken away the guilt of our sin and in place of it has imputed his righteousness to us. His righteousness to us. Not our own righteousness, his righteousness. He has imputed to us. So salvation is what we could call imputed righteousness. Meaning it is righteousness that has been given to us from Jesus Christ. It's not our own righteousness that we made up or conjured up or worked out on our own. So there's the surpassing value of the imputed righteousness of Christ through faith. More than anything else, Paul says, I want to know him. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participating in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Verses 10 and 11. What he says, you know what, listen, this is the gospel. This is gospel language here. Listen, listen to it again. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. This is the gospel. The gospel of our salvation. This is gospel language Paul uses here to talk about knowing Christ. That knowing Christ is the ultimate goal. There's no way to know him except through the gospel. So there's one way and only one way to know him and it is through the gospel. Through his death, burial, and resurrection from the dead, you see. Knowing Christ is the ultimate goal, brothers and sisters. Let us recognize this at the end of this year and the beginning of a new year. You see. <clears throat> so the only way to know Christ is through the crucible of the suffering, death, and resurrection power of Christ. Like Paul, we too experience knowing Christ through suffering, death to self, and living in his resurrection power. Mm -hmm. Regardless to what we have known and experienced this past year, knowing Christ is the most important of all. Now, I don't care what happened in 2023 to you. I don't care what happened to you. I don't care what went wrong. I don't care who went wrong. If you know Christ, you knew all you needed to know in 2023. And you know all you need to know for 2024 because you know who you need to know. <laughs> you know, uh, there's an old saying uh, that I recall going all the way back to my days of childhood. Uh, the old folk in my family used to say, you know, it ain't what you know. It's who you know. <laughs> they were right. 
And so it is true in the Lord. It's who we know that makes the difference. It's who we know that makes the difference in terms of what we know. Knowing Jesus. See, listen. I didn't gave you your New Year's resolution right here. This is the New Year's resolution you and I need. You see what I'm talking about? Now, listen, I know if you like me, you want to lose some weight again. I'm, wor I'm a work in progress on that. Amen. I'm a work in progress on it. I'm, and I'm trying to stay away from Mozepic and Manjaro and uh, all of the rest of them things. I'm not saying anything bad about them. I'm trying to stay away from them. I'm trying to do it right here, okay? Uh, listen, it's going to be hard temptation this year because everybody's going to be on it. But listen, I'm <laughs> but I'm trying, listen. I, so listen, I'm like, I'm like you. I got some, I got some things I, I want to do better this year. And other, but listen, all of that <laughs> amounts to nothing in comparison to knowing Christ. I don't, listen, I, I don't, I don't want to skimp on knowing Christ because I'm trying to do something else that ain't going to last anyway. <laughs> no, 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 I, listen. I, my first priority, my top priority, my number one priority, my, my, the type of priority, if I can't do anything else, I want to know him better. I want to know him deeper. I want to grow in him. I want him to conform me and shape and mold me more and more into his image. I'm not trying to make God into my image. See, that's what too many people are doing. And many people in the church are doing. They're trying to remake God into their image. Trying to make God into the image of man instead of being recreated into the image of Christ. Hmm. And for the news, so for this new year, we must pursue knowing him above all else because nothing else compares to knowing him. Now, let me hurry on, saints, to give you some more, just a few more meditations in the moments uh, that remain. This is why Paul goes on to say in verses 12 to 14, he confesses, beginning in verse 12, not that I have already obtained all of this <laughs> or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. He's not talking here, by the way, about salvation. What he's really talking about is what we call sanctification. Growth toward maturity in Jesus. He's, he is saved. Now he's growing in the Lord, becoming more like Jesus. The only way you can become more like Jesus is by knowing more of Jesus. By the way, let me put a pin here for a moment just to help reinforce something for all of us. Listen, the reason we are teaching and preaching through the gospel of Mark right now, and we're in Mark, at the end of Mark chapter 9, is because we're preaching Jesus. Why? Because people need to know Jesus. Because we need to know more about Jesus. You see what I'm saying? And we're going to know more about Jesus. We're learning more about Jesus by walking together through the gospel of Mark, a, a gospel of Jesus according to Mark, you see. 
That's why we're taking the time to walk through the gospel of Mark verse by verse. Because this is the way to know Jesus better. And to be known by him. Not that I have already obtained all of this or already have arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. See, you don't do anything else (laughs) in the new year coming up. All the best laid plans may not come to fruition. Oh, but this plan, must come to fruition by God's grace in your life. One thing I do, Paul says, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me upward in Christ Jesus. Tell me your translations don't say heavenward, they say upward. Uh, The King James, the, the high calling of God. In Christ Jesus. I love that old King James language. A high calling. We've been called to a high calling. All of us who are saved. We've been, we've been given a high calling. And that's what Paul says here. I press on in verse 12. In verse 14 again. I press on. Remember now. Those three words in English. Are one word in the original. One word in the Greek. I press on comes from a Greek word which means to chase something or someone uh, or to pursue something zealously. To chase or pursue. By the way, what have you been chasing and pursuing in 2023? that you need to stop chasing and pursuing for 2024. (laughs) The word here is used in reference to, listen, it it has two uses. Um, uh, On the one hand, persecution, or on the other hand, piety. It can refer to persecution or to piety. So it, it, it is used in reference to persecution. For example, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 6. This same chapter, we just read these verses a few minutes ago where Paul had formerly persecuted the church. He says, as for zeal, I persecuted the church. It's that word. I pursued. I chased down people in order to apprehend, arrest them, and have them brought back to Jerusalem to be tried for their crimes against Judaism. The crime of following Jesus. So it is used with reference to persecution right here in the same chapter, Philippians 3. But here in verses 12 and 14, this word refers to pursuing the knowledge of Christ above all else. So it, it, it has, the word has, has the meaning of pursuit, to chase, to, to go after with all vigor and strength. Uh, it can be used in terms of persecution or it can be used in terms of piety. It depends on the context that it is used in, as we can see right here in Philippians chapter 3. It's in verses 12 and 14. Paul is pursuing. Paul is, he's not pursuing innocent, God-fearing Christian believers anymore. 
He's not doing that. Now he is pursuing Jesus. <laughs> he is pursuing Christ. He is pursuing, he's in pursuit, perpetual pursuit of the knowledge of Christ. That's what he's talking about here in verses 12 through 14. That he is pursuing the knowledge of Christ above all else because nothing compares to knowing him. Nothing. Nothing. You think of whatever you want in this world. Nothing compares to knowing him. And nothing is more valuable than desiring him above all else. You see? You see, this is what we need as we transition now from one year, this year to a new year. We must press on. That's what he says. I press on. I pursue the knowledge of Christ. Now, pursuing the knowledge of Christ, brothers and sisters, involves everything that you have heard me preach, teach, and talk about all of these years. For example, prayer, praying. For example, reading the scriptures. And then, prayerfully reading the scriptures, taking the scriptures themselves and praying the scripture. Look, you can take just what we have right here in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, and turn these verses into your own prayer for yourself. See, this is the reason we need to know the Bible. We need to read our Bibles and know the scriptures and pray because the scriptures teach us how to pray, number one, but also it's the scriptures, the Bible, that gives us power to pray. The reason you have as much, listen, the reason all of us struggle with prayer often is because we're not ingesting enough of the Holy Scriptures to overcome the weakness of our human flesh. So we wind up succumbing to the things of the flesh rather than the things of God because we haven't eaten enough of the word of God to be strong enough to pursue the things of God. Listen, you got your New Year's resolution. <laughs> it's all right here. Listen, not only that. It's time for 2023 and everything that happened in it to be history. And at midnight, it's going to be history. This year is going to be history. So what must we do? We must press on because time does not allow us to park in neutral or go in reverse like an automobile. Here we are at the end of this year. What does, now listen. Which one of us could have stopped this year and held it up and kept it from going forward? Nobody. Only God could do so and God did not. By the way, did you know that there's only one time 
recorded in all of human history in scripture where God actually did stop time? Some of you remember the story. It's Joshua chapter 10. In Joshua chapter 10, God made the sun stand still for about a day so that Joshua and his military men could complete the task that they were supposed to complete in overcoming the enemies of God. Only God has stopped time. Only God could stop time. He made the sun stand still for 24 hours. God stopped time. Otherwise, God don't stop time. God doesn't stop time. He doesn't stop time for us. Well, then what does that mean? What is God saying when he doesn't ever stop time? Keep going. That's what he means. That's what he's telling you. Press on. We must press on because time does not allow us to park in neutral or go into reverse like with some sort of an automobile. Listen, you can look back, but you cannot go back in time. In reality, time only moves forward, never backward. Again, nor does it stand still, except in Joshua chapter 10. Nor does time stand still. We talk about it all the time. My, 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 where did the time go? You know, here it is December. It seemed like January was just yesterday, but it was 12 months ago. The time flies, as we often like to say. And especially for those of us who are of maturing age, time seemed to be flying even faster. I remember when I was young, time seemed to go ever so slow. Now time seems to be flying. It's all in my mind. Time's still going at the same rate it was always going. But as I have grown and matured, and my mind has filled up with more maturity, it just seems time is going by faster and faster. But time only moves forward, never backward. So listen. If the Lord delays his return, guess what is going to happen at midnight tonight? <laughs> January the 1st, 2024 is going to come. And December the 31st, 2023 is going to be history. It's going to happen. Unless God stops it. So what does that say to you and me? Well, it says to us what Paul says here. I press on. Keep pressing on. You, listen, you can look back to get some perspective, but you cannot go back. You should not try to go back because you can't go back anyway. If you spend your time trying to go back, not only will you not go forward, time will go forward without you, but then you'll be stuck. And that's where too many people are. Stuck. Stuck where? Stuck in the past. But they're not living in the past. They're living in the present. No, they couldn't go back to the past, but in their minds, they're stuck in the past. And so as a result, they can't function in the present, let alone function in the future, because they're stuck in the past. All in their head. All in their heads. If you park your mind in the past, 
then it becomes difficult, if not impossible, to move your life forward in the present toward the future. You see, the future will come regardless to whether you want it to or not. Why? Because God will not stop time for you and me. And he certainly will not turn the hands of time back. That should not happen anyway. Because that's not reality as God has designed it. And you shouldn't lose a grip on reality by trying to stay in the past. When you are in the present and you are going into the future, whether you want to acknowledge it in your head or not. Don't park your mind in the past. Put the past in its proper perspective and press forward. Keep going. Again, the future will come whether we want it to or not. And the present is here whether we want to acknowledge it or not. You see, this is important for us, brothers and sisters. As I come to a close, but very, very important, please, please prayerfully pay close attention. You see, this is where too many of us are struggling. We're struggling with the past. And it's as if we relive the past every day. But we're not in the past. We can't go back to the past, and we can't do anything about the past. Only the Lord can do anything about what has already been done, you see. And if you look to him and you trust him and you give the past to him, he's the one who owns it anyway. Give him what is his, the past. You and I don't own the past. We lived in the past. We lived through the past. Now we're no longer in the past because we're not in control of time. We're not in control of those things. And you know what? Whatever I did or didn't do in the past, God already has a remedy and a resolution for it. You know what it's called? It's called Jesus and his cross. Christ died on the cross to fix me from my past, to redeem me from the past, whatever happened in the past, whatever I did in the past, whatever was done to me in the past, whatever went wrong in the past, the cross of Christ has the power to make me right and to make everything right with me before God in the present and in the future, as well as in the past. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay, so let me remind you of what I've taught us before on this. Our physical makeup shows that God made us to move forward, not backward. Think about it. Your eyes are in the front of your head. Your face is made forward. Your eyes, your nose, your mouth, all of that is your seeing, your smelling, your speaking, your perceiving, all of that is in front of you. Not only that, your hands and your arms are made in such a way as to go forward. Your feet point forward in the same direction that your face points. Your feet don't point backward, they point forward. You and I are made to walk forward. Walking backward is more difficult than walking forward. Why? Because we're supposed to walk forward the majority of the time and seldom to walk backward 
unless we need to make a correction to something or what have you, we can walk backward. You know something, and boy, that's interesting, because, you know, um, um, <laughs> my trainer a few days ago made me walk backward in the pool. Boy, I felt them muscles. <laughs> boy, I felt those muscles. I still feel those muscles. Days later, you know, but it's not normal to walk backward, you know, but I'm exercising. But listen, you're not made to walk backward. So stop trying to go backward. The ultimate goal is pressing on to know Christ, you see. That's the goal. I press on to take hold of that. The purpose for pressing on is to take hold of that for which I have been taken hold of by Christ. So here's the deal. This coming year, 2024, pursuing the knowledge of Christ is the most important thing that you and I can do as Christian believers. Pursuing him, pursuing the knowledge of him in his word, Pursuing the Lord Jesus is the ultimate goal. And it's the ultimate goal for every year. In pursuing him, we leave behind things that need to be left behind. And even people that need to be left behind. You see what I mean? Jesus can handle and fix the past. God is able to resolve all of that. Leave it to him. Leave it to him. If he wanted you to fix it, then he would have made, he would have created us to be able to go back and fix it. He didn't create us to do that. He created us to go forward. So let him fix the past. Whatever didn't happen in 2023, let God resolve it and move on into 2024 and move on to pursue him, to pursue the knowledge of him. Because in so doing, everything else will work out right. Uh, Jesus says this elsewhere, another way that is familiar to us Bible readers, Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these other things you used to worry about or you're used to worrying about will fall into place. Pursue Christ. Pursue the knowledge of him. And in so doing, brothers and sisters, we cannot go wrong. Now, you know, um, Paul says to them, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you see something differently, God will make that clear to you too. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Listen, live up to what you've been taught. That's another way to pursue the Lord and pursue the, by pursuing the knowledge of the Lord. One of the ways we pursue knowing him better is by doing what he has taught us in his word to do. That's how we come to know him better. That's how we pursue him. Listen, you know the areas of your life where you need to grow. You, if, a, if you're a Christian, you know the areas of your life where you have been weak and where you have struggled. You know what? Pursue the knowledge of him by doing 
those things that you know he wants you to be doing. By making every effort, by putting your heart and your soul into it, and in so doing, you will come to know him better. It's the way to know Christ better. Obedience, in other words. Obedience is the key, is the pathway to knowing him better. Obedience to his word, you see. Let us pray. Father, right now we pray for obedience to the gospel. For anyone who has heard this message today but has not obeyed the call of Christ for salvation, may they now, whoever they may be, repent and believe the gospel. We pray for obedience to the gospel for the sinner. We also pray for obedience to the gospel for the saint, Father, for, for, for we have believed and trusted the gospel and are saved. Now let us continue to obey the gospel in how we live. Let us continue to obey the gospel in pursuing you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your word of encouragement and wisdom for us on this final day of 2023 as we prepare for the first day of 2024. May you be glorified Oh God, may you be glorified in our pursuit of you. For may we pursue you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength, as Jesus taught us, oh Lord, to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Oh God, may we pursue you, as Jesus taught us in Matthew 6, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and know that all of the other needs that we have will be met, and everything else will fall into place. Oh God, help us to make pursuing Christ our number one priority to make pursuing Christ our most important priority. Pursuing Christ is worthy of being our only priority. For we know, Lord, if we pursue you, that we are in the right path and on the right path. Now give wisdom and grace to each and every one of us, Lord, to wisely and, and seriously apply these words that we have learned, the word of truth that has been taught to us today. Apply it to our lives as we go forward into the new year. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Let the church say amen. Amen, amen, thank God.